Tari, helping us last week just on the, um, the last verse in Ephesians. We, we've kind of got a little bit of a, uh, a theme that's going to be coming up, not, not only with Roger's visit next week, but uh, in this, this morning in helping us. Um, it's not something we're unaware of. I, I want to just make that uh, really abundantly clear to start with. Uh, but it's something that we all need to be encouraged about. Um, one of the things I, I learned very early on in ministry is that as, as a person, uh, when I became a Christian, as a person, but also in, um, in church life, it's really important that we keep leaning into mission. What do I mean by that? It's like we almost have to overemphasize it to lean into mission because it's it kind of doesn't always happen naturally. That uh, I was just talking to my uncle uh, yesterday, and um, uh, he was celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary and had a big party, and their uh, middle son had just got married this year, so it was naught to 50. It was great. It was celebrating the first year of marriage, the first, no, with less than one, and 50 years of marriage. Lovely day. And it, just at the end, it was uh, lots of people, and he said to me, how's it going there? And I said, and he said, are you still seeing Jesus at work? I said, yes, we are. Not as much as we'd like, but we are. And he was just really encouraged by that. And he was saying, I hope we see some of that in our church soon. Lean into mission. Lean into mission. It's the, the reading this morning is, is one I'm sure you know. Uh, if not, I hope you hear it with fresh ears. John 4. Uh, Jesus, story from the gospel. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. So he, that's Jesus, left Galilee and went back once more. Sorry, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with, or do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus Answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sirs, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the, the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks uh, the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, So give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she, said, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. 
what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman replied. So it said, I I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I The one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What an insight. There are times and places that, that uh, you can kind of go to and, uh, and experience and you don't quite gather or, or, or realize what is going on. So if you, uh, if you kind of wander to Oxford ever, catch the train or go and see the Harry Potter places they filmed in, uh, in uh, the great hall of... Um, Christchurch, is it? That's the one. Uh, but there's, there's, there's statues around Oxford, and there's one particularly, a statue uh, to, to martyrs, to um, people who lived in Oxford, who pioneered the faith, and uh, you can be passing by and looking at the shop windows and seeing all the stuff of today, and go past and miss the significance of that place and that time in the history of what God has been doing in our nation. All to do with the history of translating the Bible, of bringing scriptures to us. Why do I reference that? Because uh, in this familiar story, we, we sometimes just kind of miss the, the reference point 
that locates this story not only in Samaria by a well at noontime with Jesus sitting, waiting, and the disciples have gone off to find a kosher lunch in a Samaritan village. That's a bit of a, a, a quandary for them. But it takes place at this well, and this well is given a name, and it's the name of Jacob, that Jacob dug it. You know the story of Jacob goes back into Genesis. But one of the things there, it says that the Jacob and his sons and his flocks all were watered at this place. It's, a, it's just a physical location, kind of plumbing the depths back through the story of Scripture with those who have ears to hear and eyes to see that this is the ongoing story, a mission of God, the salvation of God. That here was God at work with Jacob. And now a greater thing is happening that water, not just to water some goats and sheep and, and to provide uh, some nourishment in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the heat of the noonday. This is about God's provision for all who are thirsty. Rooted way back into the provision and the gospel story, the missional story of a God who seeks and saves. A story of God at work, of Jesus and a woman unnamed. But by the the outcome... The ending of the story, we can most certainly say that her life was changed. Would you agree with that? Her life was transformed at the well by encountering Jesus. Transformed life in meeting Jesus. That Jesus had to go through Samaria. It wasn't, if you look at the maps, it wasn't, uh, it was kind of a, a route he could take, but often people would do a big detour because they wouldn't want to go to this particular people because they were, they were people of historical enemies. They were, there was, there's all sorts of uh, history between them of, uh, of who was truly worshiping God and the favor of God and not. Anyway, cut a long story short. The people who kind of thought they loved God and knew God's heart would take the big long detour so they wouldn't have to. But Jesus said, I, he needed to go through Samaria for this particular moment, for her life to be changed. At this well, on that day, at noonday, when everyone else was resting, siestering, cooking lunch, finding lunch, this wonderful little scene of Jesus with the woman. She's probably an older woman. Uh, with, I mean, we're not given her age, but the fact that she's, she's had five husbands and she's with a sixth man would probably indicate that she's not a teenager. I mean, that would be going some, perhaps. An older woman met Jesus, and he transformed life. One of the things that we're, we're wanting to step into and encourage ourselves to lean into mission is this reality, this truth that Jesus changes lives. Now, I know we'd all put our hand up and say, yes, and amen to that. It's something that we're committed to and know because that's something we've experienced. But I want us to, in, in the coming weeks, in, in the, the, we've got the Alpha course coming up, uh, the 49th, but we've also got the 50th Alpha course, which is amazing. Uh, I was talking to Roger, who's coming next week. He, he uh, was involved in, in establishing Alpha uh, in Canada. Uh, Nicky Gumbel asked him to be the, the Canadian coordinator for Alpha uh, back in, uh, well, I can't remember the date, he may tell us. And... Um, 
he was amazed. He's saying, it's amazing that the church here has persevered and persevered, and we are now running the 49th course coming up. And it's something that the Lord laid on our heart a little bit for next year, for the 50th course. Wouldn't it be great in the 49th and the 50th and the youth alpha that's running to see more people discover that Jesus changes their life? I know you're all going, yeah, of course we know that. That's what this church is about. But it doesn't just happen by accident, does it? Jesus had to go to Samaria. It wasn't that, you know, the woman would be there at the well and have, well and have a divine uh, kind of revelation and suddenly uh, she would be uh, all changed. It meant that he had to put himself out and be at that place and that time in order to have that conversation, that interaction, that moment that opened the door for eternity for her. It doesn't just happen by chance doesn't happen unless Jesus had put himself out and gone to that place at that time for that opportunity and, and, and kind of crossed a whole load of things that should have withheld him. Do you see that? Jesus changes lives. And the evidence for us is that he's done it and he's doing it with us, isn't he? I hope so, because that becomes compelling. And the outcome of the woman's encounter with Jesus is that her life was changed. And people were saying, we know your life. We know your life in the village that she lived in. Everyone knew each other's affairs. You know, she was the woman that was there at lunchtime, away from all the communal, communal relationships. She was probably someone who had to sit on the very edge of society, was, was someone who wasn't a best friend, wasn't someone that was liked to be hung out with because she'd had five husbands. Maybe the other women thought, well, she may have to mine if we're not careful. Keep her at arm's length. Damaged goods. But in the encounter with Jesus, her life was so transformed. She went back to the village and said, Come, someone I met, he knew everything about it. And they came and they, they saw something in her that they realized that God was at work. They saw something in that woman's life from that place, that moment of uh, of rebirth, of new life, of starting again, that was so appealing that they said, we want to come and see Jesus too. I'm reminded of a a friend, uh, he is a friend now, called Dan, and um, it wasn't at this church that it happened. And uh, Dan, uh, his mum and his dad and his sister, he'd been off at university, his mum and his dad and his sister had come to faith in the term. So Dan had gone to university in September, start of a new term, and he'd left, you know, left home and he'd gone to Southampton to do his degree, to, to do his year. And in that space of 10 weeks, his family went mad, he thought. From going, and they were just kind of Arsenal fans and doing the stuff that, that families do. They encountered Jesus. They gave their life to Jesus. They started going to church. They started reading the Bible. They had daily notes. He went home, and they were no longer playing all the music that they used to play. It was now religious worship songs. He walked through the door, and he said, What has happened to my family? They have changed. They've gone crackers. They've gone mad. And he said, "What? You know, are you pretending? No, we found Jesus. And they were really upfront about sharing about their faith. And he was most perplexed. That's to put it lightly. He was really angry, actually. Where's my family gone? I left in September. When did you come back? They've changed. And I don't like it. 
So they were saying about the church they went to. They said, oh, the church we go to is great. And uh, his sister uh, was part of the youth group that I was running at the time. And they said, oh, that youth guy is great, isn't he? And, and I became the focal point for all his anger. Every time they put the worship song on, it was like, oh, stupid Christians. What have they done to my family? They've taken their family, my family from me. Anyway, he said, I'd really like to go and meet this Edwards. Oh, we'd love you to meet him. What's his address? They gave, and so he, um, I knew he was coming. And there I was one afternoon, and I knew Dan was coming. It was in the holidays. And Dan I came, and I uh, heard the doorbell go, and I went down. And Dan was kind of really like, you know, just uptight. And I opened the door, and I'd been praying, because I knew Dan was coming. I was praying, I was like, you know, what's going to happen? And um, I, hadn't, I hadn't met him before. I said, oh, hi, Dan. Do you want a cup of tea? Come in to my home. And he came in, and he sat down and had a cup of tea, and we, we talked. And I could see he was really on edge. Anyway, uh, just uh, to, to fast forward a little bit, about a year later, he became a Christian too. I can see you're all delighted about that. <laughs> He's now a missionary in Albania with his family. Isn't that great? A minister. But he told me, he said, do you know that day that I came to your door and you opened it? I was so psyched up I was going to punch you. <laughs> Genuinely. He said, I was going to punch deck you, he said. Because my family had changed. I could see in them something that I wanted you to blame because I didn't understand what had happened. And he said, you were so nice inviting me and I couldn't punch you then. And we're, we're still friends. Jesus changes people. He changes people. And that becomes an irrefutable evidence that through the woman at the well, a whole village encountered Jesus, found salvation because they saw her change in her life. Isn't that remarkable? We have to lean into mission. I want to encourage you that you, as we, are witnesses to the risen Jesus. This woman is amazing. She's the first evangelist in the Gospels. She goes and tells the whole village and they come and meet Jesus. And there's a revival in that town. Because she goes and says, I want you to meet someone I've met. And they look at her and they go, we know you. But they see in her a transformation that says, irrefutably, we'll come and meet this guy. Because who else can do that? We need to lean into mission. This is where we come in. That you and I are those witnesses. You and I are those people that Jesus has encountered. You and I are those ones for whom a watching world is watching and saying, really? And it might provoke some to annoyance. They might want to come and deck us, like Dan. Or it might be, actually, out of all the things I've been looking at and searching for and observing and watching, and people do that. Is this thing you profess, is this thing you proclaim worthwhile? You see, Jesus met this woman on this lunchtime and started a conversation. Jacob's well. Jesus is tired from his journey. You know, it's good to know that. 
He's not kind of like in the best frame of mind, ready. I mean, he's probably, I mean, he will be sweating. I mean, make no bones about that. It's lunch, it's lunchtime, it's noonday, it's hot. You know what it's like if you've gone to the med on a, on a, on a kind of, a, on a quick break and it's baking, you're sweating, you're kind of thinking, I'm thirsty, I'm not, and he's tired, he's had a journey. He's not kind of like prepared, like ready, you know, eager. I've got to tell you about God. But he knows he needs to be at this place. He is tired, he's human. And he meets this woman and he says, will you give me a drink? And the woman said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. There's all sorts of cultural and gender boundaries here and all those kind of things that uh, we could go into another time. And she says, who are you? And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask for a drink, you'd ask him to give you living water. I think the first thing we just need to recognize in this passage is that, that all of us, even here this morning, are carrying a mask. That The story quickly deepens, doesn't it, when Jesus gets a revelation and says, you know, you've had five husbands and the current one isn't your husband. It all gets very deep and very kind of uh, profound very quickly. But that moment, that initial thing that Jesus encounters this woman... And there's this thing about water and who's going to draw it and how to do it and who, who are you. That there's a reality that that which we are presented with doesn't always match up to what is going on beneath the surface. But Jesus presses through. When we, have to, when we recognize we need to lean into mission, we need to recognize that Jesus is the one who gives us living water that nowhere else in this world can supply. That Jesus is the one who can rescue and save completely every person in our community, completely. And that without him, there isn't salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now that sounds like we're kind of being a bit heavy and, and I know there's lots of questions at the throat, but the, the truth of it is he is the savior And we need to kind of keep grasping that. We need to keep refreshing our mind about that because as we lead into mission, we have to ask the question, why do we do this? When we look around us and we see contented people, particularly in this part of the world, people who seem to be fine, thank you very much. It can seem like, why bother with this Jesus? They're they're fine. Actually, they're not. The, The mask might be up and presented with nice, uh, you know, kind of presented. But behind it, there's a hurt, a, a brokenness and a hurting that is deeply profound. Just the other week, we were told in research that 14-year-old girls, one in four in the UK, self-harm. 25% of 14-year-old girls cut themselves in Britain. There's a, some research coming out. I, I've not yet heard it. The BBC about a, a survey in, in loneliness coming out. How are you? I'm fine. I'm lonely. We say the right things, but all of us have got questions and doubts and pain and hurts and disappointment. There is so much anxiety and panic and fear and dread and worry going on, even probably here behind the mask, 
in the encounter. And Jesus sees through it. He sees beyond and behind to the person. And you are loved and precious to him in the midst of all the brokenness. There was another guy I knew called Ian. And Ian was a head chef of a very renowned restaurant. And uh, he was, wasn't a believer. He, was Scot- he is Scottish. He wasn't was. He is Scottish. Uh, very capable uh, and just, n- just nothing wanted to do with the gospel at all. Didn't want to know Jesus. His wife was a believer. And one day I, I got a phone call. We'd seen him and chatted and he was kind of polite, but he wasn't one of these deck me guys, but he wasn't really wanting to become a friend. And one day I got a phone call and he said, can I come and see you, Edward? And I was like, sure, yeah, of course. Uh, and Ian came to my door and he sat down and made a cup of tea. What we do as vicars, isn't it? We're always offered more tea. As a joke. Um, I said, what is it, Ian? And he talked about it and stuff. And then he paused. And to me, he looked, you know, in his 30s. He was at the top of his career. He'd worked hard. He'd got a lovely family and a child had just been born. And he was well off. Hard worker. And he said to me, 10 days ago, I decided to kill myself. A motorbiker. He said, I'm going to... And he'd practiced it. He said, here's, here's the road and here's the tree and I'm going to accelerate towards it on my bike and end it. I said, why? And here's the shock because I didn't know what was behind the mask. He said, I'm a gambling addict and my wife doesn't know and I've racked up 40,000 pounds of debt. And I've managed it, and I've hidden it, and my wife doesn't know, and it's all coming crashing down around me, and I can't pay it back, and they're going to take the house, and my reputation will go. I need to just leave. The mask fell, and I saw behind. And I said, "Um, what stopped you? So I was lying in bed, and my wife was asleep, and it was the last night. I was going to spend with her. He said, I couldn't sleep. I was going through the plan and the reasons and just my life was falling apart. He said, I just remembered being taken to Sunday school once. Didn't really go to church much. And he just remembered the lyrics to a hymn that he'd sung. Just one small refrain. And he thought, why in that moment have I started to think about God? And that thought wouldn't leave me. That thought wouldn't leave me. And he thought, well, if I'm going to kill myself, maybe this is just a glimmer of hope. And he phoned me up and said what he said. It was a long route, but he's still alive. And he's a believer. And he had to tell his wife about the debt. But I'm so glad he didn't ram his bike into a tree. Rowan Williams, former archbishop, said this, When I look at another human being, I'm looking at someone God is taking seriously. I'm looking at someone who God is talking to. 
that Jesus could have seen the brokenness and the abandonedness and the desperation and the hopelessness of the woman at the well, but he had to go there because he was looking and seeing and saw a life that was precious and worthwhile to be rescued and to be saved. He leans into mission. He came to this world leaning into the gospel to good news. For us as a church, as, as we recapture something of, uh, of the priority and the, and the permanence of this, of this call upon us, it's really important that we, we learn to recognize that even if people say, I'm okay, we all carry masks. The surface level may be okay, but underneath a desperation, a hopelessness, a fear, a need for Jesus. And Jesus says, I will give you living Water, the recognition that everybody has a big hole in their heart. She's searching, she hasn't found hope in husbands. We don't know if the husbands have died, she's been desperately unlucky, and the world kind of saying, Keep away from her, she's like a bad luck. She's a jinx on life, keep back. Or maybe she's gone through five husbands, we don't know. And for the reasons I alluded to earlier, maybe people were saying, keep back, keep away. But still behind the front, she had a heart that needed wholeness, a thirst that needed satisfying, a creator who could renew her. You see, we see in this story, uh, once we recognize that she's a person loved by God and cherished by God, that God is looking for her. We recognize that everyone is wired for a relationship with God. Not just about God, but a relationship with God. Not just to come and do some religious thing, but actually to know God. Not just to know about, but to know Him. To know Him. To be encountered by Jesus. Verse 19 is, is so profound. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. And from that encounter, she moves to knowing as Jesus declares to her, I, the one who am speaking to you, I am he. That the Christian journey is, is moving from knowing something about to knowing him. Who here rides a bike, learned to ride a bike? Most of us. Anyone not ride a bike? There, two of you. Do you know, I remember learning to ride a bike. My brother had got a bike and he was well into it. He took, like, took to it like a, a duck to water or a cyclist to a cycle, I guess. But uh, then my dad brought me a bike and it, uh, we, he didn't believe in stabilizers because he said that just slows you down learning. I could see the logic eventually, but he gave me this bike and, and we had this lawn with a slope. And he said, just get on it and ride. I mean, it makes sense, but it's not very helpful. Well, just get on it. You put one foot on the pedal and you sit on the saddle and then you lift the other foot and you, you know, use the, the, the hill that the lawn was on and that will help you. The amount of times I fell off and thought, stupid bike. And dad would say, well, you know, once you, know, you sit on it and you balance and you pedal and you go and you turn the handlebar. And I knew all about the theory of it. 
I remember that day at about half past four in the autumn, in the afternoon, on that bike, where I got on it, I put my foot on the pedal, sat on the saddle, and suddenly, where I'd fallen off, suddenly, I don't, it was a mysterious, wonderful moment, I knew, I moved from knowing about to I could ride a bike. Do you remember that feeling? It's astonishing, isn't it? It's moving from knowing about and the theory of it to actually now I can do it. The woman at the well had known about a Messiah and God and something about the history of the people of God and Jacob's well. And well, one day uh, we'll worship somewhere in spirit and truth. And she moved in that encounter from knowing about to knowing too. It became real for her. As it does for everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. It goes from knowing about to knowing the wonderful Lord Jesus That's an astonishing change, but a change we want everyone to have the opportunity to experience, to know him, the awesome, glorious, life-transforming, wonderful Savior. And her life was changed, undeniably. The village came out en masse on the basis of her testimony. Everyone knew what she was like. They knew her past. But with Jesus, we're enabled to leave the past because he invites us into a new future. That as he encountered, and, and as we go as his witnesses, and maybe even this morning as you're hearing this, thinking, well, I know my past, and I know what's behind the mask, and I know what's going on in my heart and in my mind. Jesus still meets us. No matter who we are or what's happened to us or the circumstances of life or the desperation that you may be feeling or the mess that has been made up or it just seems just so, but it's not yet enough. Come to know him, trust him, invite him into your life. You see, in, in this story, as, as we engage with, with Alpha and, and want to encourage you to invite people to Alpha, do you know, a, a tier fund research recently said there are three million people in this country who'd come to church if someone invited them. And that's a lot more chairs for us, I know. Uh, but the point is, even without a lot of graft, just a simple invite. Lorna was telling me, can I tell the story, Lorna? Last week you were telling me about inviting someone to Alpha. She, said, I, she was telling me at the door, she said, I was really nervous. There's this person I thought, I'm going to invite them to Alpha. And I kind of got prepared for them to say, stuff off, basically. It wasn't Lorna's language, but not interested. Explained what Alpha was, did the whole sort of light cell. And the lady said, yeah, that sounds good. I'd love to come. And you were astonished, weren't you? Really? <laughs> and I know the experience for many of us is that we ask and people do say no. And we ask and people say, no, thank you, not my time. Someone else telling me this morning about it persistently trying to win someone for the Lord, and they say, no, 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 thank you. But you know, God is at work in every person's life. He's speaking to them, and things change between the last time we ask and now. Let's keep on inviting. Let's keep on being the witnesses that, that we are. If we've come to faith in Jesus, we're the living testament. People can read our lives. There's a challenge there, isn't there? <laughs> We need to lean into mission. And we are. We must do it. It's not a, a labor of let's do more, let's do more, let's try harder. Jesus was tired and it was midday. And he was, but let's, 
keep leaning into this. Keep asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. Keep asking us to have opportunity. I had an opportunity the other week on a train. I'll close with this. I was coming back from a, a conference with um, Zacharias Trust Reboot with teenagers. It was great. I was with one of my teenagers from the youth group coming back on the train from London. And there was this, uh, uh, there was this older lady, so to speak. She was... Um, uh, she'd been in London, I don't know what, but she was on the train and she was doing a crossword and she got tired. It was about seven, uh, half past seven and she, we were sitting at one of the tables. I was going backwards, she was going forwards and I was with uh, Johnny from the youth group and she nodded off. And uh, we were, I was about to get off the train at Morton and um, Johnny said, and we'd been given these little gospel tracts, you know, the little booklet of, uh, I think it was the Gospel of Luke. And he said, let's give her one while she's sleeping. I said, what? how would you do it? He said, why don't you open a purse? It was on the table and pop it in a purse. I said, I can't do that. If she wakes up, she'll think I'm like robbing her. You know, it would be an awful one of those moments like on the front page of the Evesham Gazette, you know. Trying to, I said, you can't do that, Johnny. And he said, oh, go on. I said, no. He said, well, I know what we'll do. Let's put it under her purse. You do it, Edward. I'm like... <laughs> Well, give me the gut, you know, give it. I was like, oh. Anyway, at that moment, as, as she was passing, we looked a bit suspicious. She was pass, he was passing me the gospel, this little nicely presented gospel, and I was just holding it, and she woke up, and I was like, I'm so glad I wasn't in her purse at that moment. <laughs> and it was in Johnny's hand. I said, Johnny, John, you'd go for Johnny. And Johnny said, we just wanted to give you this. It's a gospel. And the lady smiled, <laughs> a bit sleepy, but she smiled. She said, I'm a Christian too. But she took it. Just in that moment on a train, when Johnny and I were having a bit of a laugh and he was saying, do something a bit reckless. And I was going, oh, can't put it in a purse. But the Lord loved her and the Lord was at work. There's all sorts of ways to do it. But you never know who you might encounter at the watering well, your local, or in Costa or Waitrose or wherever you get to drink something. And you know we're surrounded by people who have a mask and who are broken and are desperate and need to know Jesus. And we are those people. We are. There's no one else who's doing it. We are. And it's our prayer that whole communities would come to believe. We're not that much different to that woman at the well. And a whole village came to know Jesus because of her experience. How about you? Should we pray?